Let's pray. God of mercy and grace, you reveal your way of salvation in your word and present us with a perfect example of obedience in our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless our reading and hearing of the word today, that we may apply it to, to our lives in a way that honors you and builds up our faith for the living of these days, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Reading from the book of Genesis, portions of both chapters 2 and chapter 3. Beginning with chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Reading also from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, continuing the game of biblical knowledge, 
the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title I gave to this sermon kind of relates to it, but don't get tripped up by it. You know, I put titles in uh, oftentimes before I finish the sermon, and sometimes they relate and sometimes they don't. So it kind of does, but don't count on it. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Sometimes people will come to me, well, they, regularly they come to me asking me biblical or theological questions, and that's good because I'm, I'm always happy to to try to find answers uh, with you and for you. Uh, but one of the questions they ask me sometimes is, why was Jesus tempted? If Jesus was God and perfect, wasn't the temptation kind of a, a futile exercise? And my response is, no, it wasn't at all. Jesus faced temptations because he was human. Now, he was more than human, that we understand and affirm, or we, we affirm, we don't always understand it, because those of I can remember all the way back to 10th grade physics, that you can't be 100% one thing and 100% of another thing, it, it doesn't match, uh, but this is a God thing. So Jesus could be 100% divine and 100% human, and he was human, and humans are tempted. You could say that human life is a series of temptations from day to day to day. Now, when we say temptations, quite often we use that word and it means something negative. But, but temptations aren't always negative. They, they could be positive. And they could be negative and often are. And sometimes really doesn't matter if they're positive or negative. They're just temptations. But human life is full of temptations. I don't know if you knew that or not, so if that's, if that's shocking to you and you're distressed by that, um, you'll have to talk to me later. But it is. So the question is not, are there temptations in the world? Are, but that's, a, that's a given. Our challenge, however, in the face of pretty constant temptations is to hold on to our priorities and to honor God in our living. Jesus provides the roadmap for this journey, which is why I think this story of his temptations is so incredibly important for us. Jesus experienced life in the same way that we experience life, at least in many ways. This is at the beginning of his public ministry. He had just been baptized by John in the Jordan, and 
He was kind of assessing where he was and what God was calling him to do and to be and uh, taking stock of what he had going for him and uh, where he would go with this calling that his heavenly father placed on him. So as people have done through history, not me so much because I'm a terrible, terrible faster, but I know there are people who are very good at fasting. And if I have to do it, I can do it, but I don't really like to very much. But fasting is a way of focusing your attention on what is important before you. And so Jesus was doing that before he set out on the beginning of his ministry. He was looking at his life. He was filling his spiritual resource tank and setting his priorities. So I think it's a really important thing for us to take a look at these temp uh, temptations and what they say to us about Jesus, and even more than that, what they say to us about us. The three wilderness lures or temptations were not outlandish or oddball. They weren't just challenges that Jesus had to face because he was Jesus but rather they are common to all people. That's kind of the point I want to make. The temptations Jesus faced are the same temptations that we face in our daily lives. Well, how is that? Well, first temptation. Uh, Satan says, turn these stones into bread. Well, what's bread? Food. Is food a bad thing? Not generally. It can be. But, but we need food, right? And as the Old Testament lesson says that the serpent, who we translate into Satan and the devil and all of that stuff, was more crafty than other beings. So the tempter went to Jesus and said, well, how can I get under a hungry man's skin? Tempt him with food. And you knew Jesus. He knew that Jesus had the ability to turn the stones into loaves of bread. And after all, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you feed your hunger? It's not a bad thing. Eating, you see, is mostly fine. And I'm really, really happy about that because I love to eat. One of the reasons why I like to run as much as I do because it means I get to eat more. Eating is necessary. It's a good thing. Jesus, however, is not eating for a purpose, for a reason. He is relying on Abba, his heavenly Father's plan for his life, and right now the plan is to step away from those common everyday concerns to focus on what his father wants him to do in his ministry. And so he was fasting for that purpose. And breaking the fast would be disobedient to his father's will. Is it a big deal? It's not a really big deal, except that obedience was the key element to this time of learning. And that's the important thing to remember. One of the important things to remember about temptations is that Temptations usually are not a terribly big deal in the whole scope of human existence. And that's why they're tempting. 
because they seem to be so normal, so not terribly bad. In this case, this was true. Jesus set an example of relying on his Heavenly Father's plan and being obedient to it. And by his example, he encourages us to do the same. Easy to say, isn't it? A little more challenging to do, but Jesus provides us an example, relying on the Word, relying on the Spirit of God, trusting that what God wants for us in our lives is the best thing. So food. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for anybody who's been tempted by food they didn't need because it happens a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Second temptation is fame. Fame. Basically, that's what the second temptation is about. Spirit, or the, the devil takes Jesus up to the spire of the temple and invites Jesus to throw himself down, knowing that his heavenly father, as scripture said, would catch him and land him softly and safely on the ground, and all of the people around would go, ah, what an amazing deed, what an amazing deed. And they would flock to Jesus to know more about what he was all about. Fame. Not necessarily a bad thing by itself, is it? I get kind of a kick out of our world today because we have a whole bunch of people who are famous for being famous. I really have no clue what they do or what their purpose is, but, but they're famous. And they show up all over. And I'm going, why is that person famous? What do they do? Jesus didn't want that to happen to him. Jesus had in mind, first of all, that he was not trying to upset the public order yet. There would be the time for that. But he wanted to develop his ministry and his following in a slow, painstaking kind of way. He did not have millions of dollars at hand to spend on a PR campaign. He went door to door and village to village, building up true followers who would be dedicated and committed not simply to some wonderful, marvelous act, but to the core of what he had to say. The tempter said, you know, I can fix your problem with fame in a big hurry. Just show what your Heavenly Father will do for you, and you will be famous. And Jesus said, that's not the fame I'm looking for. Again, I want to be in step with my Heavenly Father's will. Food, fame, not necessarily bad, but temptations just the same. The third temptation is uh, that Satan said, I can give you influence, which is kind of like fame, but it's, it's more than that. I can, I can give you uh, the rule of the world. Now the Bible tells us, and our theology affirms, that for a period of time, Satan would have temporal or worldly and temporary power. And he has it to give to people. Some of the great stories in literature are about people selling their souls to the devil. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that does happen. Because there is the sense that the power of evil is at 
afoot and at loose in our world, and we can buy into it and gain influence by way of the power of evil. It's a quick route to authority, to influence. What does Jesus say? Not my way, not according to the will of my heavenly Father. You kind of see the theme there, obedience in the face of temptation. It's a theme that's important for us, too. There's more at stake in Jesus' case, no doubt about it. We are not Jesus. It's the cosmic battle that is playing itself out between good and evil, between the devil and Jesus. We're talking about the, the eternal unity of the divine being and God's purpose in the history of the universe, more usually than is at stake in our lives, correct? And yet, you see, the deceiver doesn't try to get Jesus to be an awful person, but to stray slightly from the path. Because temptations are temptations, because they're easy. It's easy to fall for them. So with that in mind, I would like to share three takeaways for today as we look at these lessons. If Jesus wasn't above temptation, neither are we. Don't feel like you are above temptation. Many a godly leader in our time has fallen because they put themselves so high up on a pedestal. I am too holy. I'm too good. I won't fall for that. And then they do. Don't pretend that you are too high and too holy for temptation. I allow in my own life that temptations abound. And I will never get to the place where temptations don't tempt me. Don't pretend you are above temptation. Second takeaway, don't let giving in do you in. The world's best minds, some of them, not all of them, but the world's best minds are employed in the enticement business how to get you to do and buy and be things that you really don't need to be. About half of the people watch the Super Bowl for the game, and about half of the people watch the Super Bowl for the advertisements, right? Millions and billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars are spent to get you, to tempt you. Are all those temptations bad? Nope, they're not. However, we have to keep in mind that... Uh, they, will, they will get us and we will fall. And when we do, we have to realize that we can't let do, uh, giving in do us in. Honest people will admit that they fall for temptations once in a while. And the good news is, the news of grace is that disobedience does not have the last word. Forgiveness does. How often people will come to me and uh, say, Pastor, you got a minute? And then they walk through my door. Oh, yeah, I got time. Door's open. And they walk through my door and they close it. And I'm going, oh, okay, it's going to be fine. Uh, I don't think I did anything wrong this week. 
And they'll sit down and they'll say, I have to tell you about something I did 30 years ago. And I'm feeling really bad about it. And then I get excited because guilt does not have the last word. Grace does. Somewhere along the line, they fell for some temptation. And they've been allowing it to eat them up for all those years. Don't have to. You just got to fess up and accept the grace that God waits to give. Grace always trumps guilt. And that leads me to the third takeaway, the healing and restoring value of fessing up. Being honest with ourselves. Oh, I'm too good for temptation. You'll never hear those words come out of my mouth unless I'm talking about somebody else. Because I ain't too good for temptation. It's right there. And when I fall for what I shouldn't fall for, I find a healing and restoring value in fessing up and being honest and being open to God's grace and forgiveness. Don't pretend you're above temptation. You're not. Don't let giving in do you in. And value the healing and restoring power of confession. Ground your being in the spirit and example of Jesus who faced temptations just as we do and overcame them with a commitment to God's word. And prepare your ground of being, which is our Lenten theme, for all of the good works that God wants to do in you uh, in this season. One of which is making you honest with yourself. The first garden we dig in is not somebody else who's doing something wrong. Don't worry about them. Dig in your own garden to make sure that you are growing in God's grace, first of all. It is my prayer that these seven weeks of this season will witness the sprouting of grace, forgiveness, and a new spirit of commitment to living more Christ-like lives in each and every one of us in our church, in our community, and might we be so bold to say, in our world as well. Thanks be to God for this teaching from his holy word. Amen.